Welcome to Tell Us Where It Hurts, a conversation around health, well-being, and the many ways people across Central Indiana are offering a helping hand. I'm your host, Chris Kirshner, and today's conversation is about the social implications of positive relationships and supportive social systems. Research has indicated that kids that have mentors are more likely to be academically successful, more likely to avoid risky behaviors, they're less likely to turn to substance abuse. I consider him as like a big brother. I just wanted to do a little bit more and have a greater impact and be closer to things in the community and really make a bigger difference. Joining me for this conversation, Camille Brew. She's the Senior Director of Mentoring Relationships and Program Outcomes for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Indiana, where she's responsible for overseeing the support, coaching, and guidance BBBSCI provides to mentors, mentees, and their families, as well as providing strategic direction for programming founded on evidence-based services and supportive practices. Camille enjoys staying up to date in the latest trends in youth mentoring and has managed BBBSCI's involvement in local and federal research projects. And Sid McNeely, who's been the executive director of Creating Positive Relationships since 2011 and has more than 35 years' experience as a volunteer coordinator and community organizer. Sid served three consecutive four-year terms as an elective school board member for the Metropolitan School District of Washington Township in Indianapolis. She's been a presenter at the Indiana School Board Association's statewide conferences, served on various ISBA state-level committees, and traveled annually to Washington, D.C. to lobby Indiana senators and representatives on behalf of Indiana schools. Camille and Sid, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Social impacts of creating positive relationships. That's the discussion, as I mentioned. But let's define what we mean by positive relationship and healthy relationships and what do those look like? Our organization, CPR, recently realized that we talk a lot about creating positive relationships and healthy relationships, but that maybe that term needed more definition. Um, So we collaborated with our staff and our board and some others outside and decided, um, especially in today's world, that it includes respectful speech to and about others, caring consideration for the needs of others, and healthy conflict resolution were all key components of that. Um, And so that any really good relationship should make us a better person. Um, And we should be doing that for each other, I think. I would agree. For Big Brothers, Big Sisters, we always say it's not just the presence of a relationship, but what happens in that relationship that truly matters. So for us, it's creating safe spaces for young people to discover who they are and then be able to advocate and and picture their best future and then also plug them into the community so that they can um, find other ways to connect, but then also contribute. So there's a lot packed into what a positive relationship does look like. And I know you both focus on younger people, and and we certainly want to make sure that um, we talk about ways that that their positive relationships impact their health, but also expanding it out a little bit as well to to just anybody, because positive relationships are so important to to everyone and those healthy relationships. So when we're talking about friends and family, first and foremost, uh, the impact that that has, the social impact when you have a healthy relationship and a not healthy relationship within that circle. I think in today's world, the challenge is there's a lot of young people growing up 
who don't have good role models when it comes to healthy relationships. So I think of what Camille does and the importance of that. And then we also want to begin to inspire them and give them the skills and the knowledge of what healthy can look like so that they can be the change agent if they haven't had the benefit of having that themselves. We don't want them to grow up and just say, well, this is all I know and this is who I'm going to be if they could be someone better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would completely agree with that. Obviously, mentorship is important and mm-hmm. having that reflective role model in front of you. I, I also think that it, it's vital for us to make connections. It's inherent in who we are. Um, and we're better selves when we do feel like we have, you know, the emotional support, the mental support. All of that plays in itself and it affects our physical well-being. So we, we know we are um, better poised and we're in a better place in life when we do have those connections that can advocate and support us. How much does uh, the the current culture that we're in, and by that I mean um, social media, for example, especially when we're talking about young people, I, I, I play back to my, my own teenagers at home, social skills and, and positive role models and that kind of thing. I'm having a hard time just getting them away from the computer monitor, right, or from their tablets or from their mobile devices. And so how much does that play into trying to, to, to get those positive uh, relationships working? I have big concerns about the impact of social media. They are doing studies on it, and there's more out there you can find about the detriment. But I think what confuses particularly young people, and and also I would say um, younger adults, um, is that sometimes not only does that take away from a real relationship, but they don't understand even at times that that isn't a real relationship. We've got influencers and people follow them and they feel like they know all about them, but it's not reciprocal. That person really doesn't care about the follower or know about the follower. And I think all that time invested in that is, is seriously time that's not invested in a real life relationship that can support you and challenge you and encourage you. Agreed. Similarly to that, we, we have found ways that you can create relationships virtually and if done right, and it does take a lot of intentionality in the way you work with the young person. So try to connect offline as well. Write letters to each other if it really isn't going to be an in-person interaction. But there can be positive ways. If we are... If we are impacted to only create relationships through a screen right now, that's better than nothing. And so if you can go a a few steps extra to connect to them and to get to know them, like you said, a reciprocal relationship is a key piece behind it. However you can do to create that trusted, safe space so that you create something that feels loving and supportive at the same time. I think that that's the key piece. But we, we do also see that, you know, a lot of youth, their senses of self get wrapped up pretty, pretty significantly in how others view them. So it, it's a caution line that you need to watch or, you know, react against to make sure that they are truly healthy. Some of us are forced in that space, in the remote space now because of the pandemic. Um, so as we're talking about extending those positive relationships to our neighbors, um, to, to folks in our neighborhood, to our employees, our coworkers, um, what, what's the best course of action and how important are those relationships um, to our overall health and well-being? I, l- 
I love that you raise the issues we're faced with now. Mm-hmm. And, and in the midst of this, then how do we continue relationships? And so I think that's really helpful to remember. It's not entirely good or bad, but I think that reciprocal part is probably an important thing. And in the midst of people not traveling the same with family or whatever, or even just different age groups, different comfort level with what we're dealing with today, um, accommodating them, understanding them and still being able to care for them. That's, yeah, I'm glad you raised that. That's really important. Yeah, I, I do agree when it, when it comes to community spaces, proximity breeds understanding. Distance just creates fear. So at the, at the root of things for me, um, if we're able to create relationships that build empathy within our community, that, that's key for me. That's clutch. I want to make sure that folks go out of their way to connect with those that we would think might not be like us in other circumstances because we'll find that there's more commonalities than there are differences. But we have to get uncomfortable in that as well. We need to be able to then say, well, what does that mean for us? Or how does this challenge my bias? And truly listen to somebody else's experience so that we can create a stronger community. We've seen a lot of those conversations come about as a result of of this past year of not only the pandemic, but there's been a lot of um, social unrest and things that have come to light in regards to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so as we're talking about building healthier relationships within our communities and those social interactions, to your point Mm -hmm. about having that empathy and, and having a better understanding, how do we start those conversations and how do we start those relationships and then build on them? It's really hard at times. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I am very fortunate um, having been involved in our community in a variety of ways to have people that I interact with or can interact with that aren't like me. Um, and, And developing a relationship to the extent that you can ask them you know, I, you know, I care about you. Can you answer this for me? Or can you help me learn along these lines is huge. But how I would be really interested in what you would suggest, because um, you raised the point of, of how you find a, a diverse community. I have just sort of come upon it. And, and to some extent, it was my involvement in schools um, that helped because that's incredibly diverse. But what would you suggest? Do you have? Yeah, I do believe you have to be focused and intentional. And I think you need to focus your efforts in three things, you know, connection, empathy, and resilience. If we really want to get to the how piece, I really think it's three-pronged. I've heard it, I've heard it said before, and it really resonates to me that relational healing requires relational work and relational connection. And so for me, that means, you know, we need to keep showing up for each other in consistent ways, making sure that our actions say that, hey, I hear you, I see you, and I value you. Um, that, that's, the, that's the what and the meat behind not just a relationship, but a relationship that helps change lives. And then I think we need to move it back into that empathy piece, you know, get uncomfortable, ask those questions, lean in, and challenge your own thoughts and what it might surface in there. And then, then the third piece, you know, when you mentioned, um, you know, social divides or racialized violence or, or some some of the civil moments that we've had over the last year, that's how do we build relationships in a changing world? And, and to some pieces, that that is chaotic. That is very challenging. 
And you can't always change an environment. I think that's social work one-on-one when you're working with a young person. You're, you're going to run into that roadblock where you wish you could do more, but you can't change the environment in that moment. But you can help create and build relationships that prepare them to handle it the next time they might face that adversity or that, that challenge. And so that's what resilience really is, is creating their ability to bounce back. And so I think we have to get uncomfortable and connect to be able to do those things. Yeah, I would also say one of the things that we talk to young people about is 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 realizing even if people are very different than you, there are likely ways you're similar mm-hmm. that you may not recognize. And so sometimes looking for those. And so we deal with communication skills and the ability to ask and listen um, and interact and look for those commonalities. It's real. It's a... It's real easy, it seems, to unite over what we disagree with. Um, And we end up with pocketed society, and we all are most comfortable in our little echo chambers. Um, But I think, too, being honest that relationships are complicated, Mm -hmm. and good relationships even are hard Mm -hmm. at times. And so I think the opportunity we have in speaking to young people is to tell them those things and teach them those things. Relationships are messy. We say it all the time, but helping teach the messy and how you get through the messy is what builds us. And that that creates stronger young people down the road. And is it safe to say that when you're talking about positive relationships, it doesn't mean you're always happy all the time. It doesn't mean you're always positive. It just means it's healthy. Yes. Right. And sometimes healthy means having to, to face kind of those difficult and have those difficult conversations. Right. We always try to bring this back to health outcomes. And so not having a healthy relationship, whether it be at home, in your communities, um, at work, can lead to a lot of distress, mental and emotional um, upset, if you will. And it's so important to have those, those healthy relationships as well. So talk about what we should look for in others that maybe indicate they're not in such a good space or not. And maybe it's the, the relationships that they're in that are not so healthy. Yes. So healthy relationships build healthier selves, right? We know that your rates of anxiety, depression, substance use all goes down, right? Heart disease goes down. Um, It's a better sense of well-being. When we are in the moments, if the last year plus of the pandemic has taught us anything, is we're more acutely aware of those negative impacts. But loneliness happens to everybody. And so I think when you're helping someone understand their own triggers within themselves or what they might be experiencing is is to some small degree first normalizing that at some point in our life we're all going to feel lonely. But the piece is making sure that it doesn't turn into chronic loneliness. And so loneliness looks different in in a variety of ways of the kids that I work with. For some young people, it goes a lot to self-worth and self-esteem that we talked just a little bit ago, but they might be not putting themselves out there or connecting with others because they have the fear of how they're being viewed. So we have to work internally to combat those negative views of themselves so that they can get out there and re-engage. Other folks that we might work with um, are lonely but still surrounded by people, right? Maybe it's not socially isolated, but then they're defining their loneliness by a lack of depth in their connection. So we need to surround them by people that will encourage them, support them, check in on them regularly. And it's that consistency of showing up that's that's huge. And the, the last thing that I would say to, to answer that question is routines got completely disrupted, I would say, this last year. And so, you know, a young person's connection to their teachers, their coaches, their therapists, and then not only their school schedule, their sleep schedule, it all got turned on their head. So helping them realize that a healthy routine, being active and engaged in their community can get them back on the right path. But it looks different for everybody, I would say. I think the other thing that's important is understanding we 
we do best if we have a variety of kinds of relationships. And so to seek out just one healthy relationship is probably not not in your best interest if that's all you're focused on. Um, you know, we have relationships with our family. We have relationships with our peers. We have relationships with mentors and, and other caring adults in our lives. We have relationships with those in authority over us. And I think learning the skills mm -hmm. to navigate all of those different kinds of relationships is really helpful. Um, and to actually seek out and, and be willing to take risks, mm -hmm. I think. You know, I think I hear that in some of the things you're saying is, is even if somebody's isolated or lonely, is it times to take a risk mm -hmm. and to reach out and understand that others are probably also experiencing what you are. So I think there's some skills that are involved in doing that. Um, some of us are inherently you know, wired a particular way, and we do that. But others are just different and, and take a different set of risks when when they engage. Um, but understanding that, that today isn't the end of it either, mm -hmm. you know, that there's continuum, and, and your choices in all of those things matter. And there's things you can choose to engage in, too, that you know, when you're younger, just experiment with with different sports or with different clubs or different organizations, and, and you don't have to stay stuck there. Um, so some of those sorts of things, I think, are the helpful things that people just, just information they need to know and be aware of for themselves. I do think a key piece, and something you said reminded me of this and triggered it in my brain, is that we need to work with our young people in areas of attunement, which means how can they recognize, um, you know, when somebody else is struggling, how do they engage and go out of their way to, you know, include the young person at school that might feel like they're being a little isolated or putting some of those signs off? Because it's in those moments that we even then teach kids how to be better at doing this and including others that it creates a ripple effect. So it's not just on us as adults to do. I think we, we need to nurture it in our young people, too. You brought up mentoring um, early on in our discussion, and I know you both have, uh, through your programs, uh, mentoring is a big part of that. So let's let's talk about that, the one-on-one -on -one mentoring, mm -hmm. um, not just with young people, really, because I see the value in it with adults, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the workplace and in other places. So what is the value in that, and why should we be more engaged in perhaps finding a mentor or mentee? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it, it is. It's two way. It's completely. And in our program, we have a third prong where we're engaging the parent or guardian and the family dynamic, too, because we really do think it takes a team to do this well. And the young person is in the middle and we're working around to support them. But why for me, mentoring is so important is I do feel that we can create relationships that maybe wouldn't have normally walked in each other's lives before we intentionally stepped in and said, hey, I, th I think there's some commonality here. So we work to um, create relationships with trusting, caring adults and young people in our community. And it's vital that young people feel like they have someone in their corner to support them um, and, and to help them uncover their potential, but then stick by them and defend that potential as well. And so it goes to creating empathy and safe spaces for folks in the community when we're bringing variety of people together that wouldn't have normally been. And, and it is intergenerational. You're right. So many times volunteers tell me, hey, I think I'm getting more out of this than the young person is. And so, it, it, you know, it creates great health benefits for both of us. It's, you know, it's not just on the giver. It's, it's also on the receiver and vice versa. Yeah, and I think the same is true for probably those after-school programs that are available as well. Well, and an awful lot of the program, the schools that use our program, it is during the school day. 
Um, and so one of the things we do is we, um, we use something called um, it's Search Institute's 40 Developmental Assets. Um, and it's just rich with um, the more assets that exist in a young person's life, the less risk behaviors you'll see them exhibit. But one of the things we've done is because we don't get to influence all those other areas of their life is we teach them about the assets and help encourage them to, to look to build these in their own life. Um, and then we try very hard with materials we send home and other things that we offer parents to, um, to engage that young person with their parent and engage them with their peers, but also then to help, help encourage them taking responsibility for their life and their health and their future. Um, and that's been pretty effective, and you just get to see the light bulb go on for kids, and they're like, I'm, I'm going to do this. But, but then they understand why we encourage them to seek out healthy relationships among their peers or why they ought to have a trusted, caring adult, of several of them in their lives as well. Absolutely. The developmental relationship is key. Oh. We use it as well, too. <laughs> good we, could go down a, we could go down a deep path with that one. So for, for people who are listening, then, how, you know, you're saying we, we want to build those positive relationships. And so how do you tell somebody, how can, how, can, how can I go about creating that positive relationship or being that source of positivity for others? I think if you want to consider the overall health benefit, and there is huge overall health benefit that relationships lead into our lives. And I've seen that more even through hospital organizations that are doing that research. And it's really exciting to me um, because of the whole person effect and even on aging, et cetera. Um, but, I, but I really truly would encourage people to look at Search Institute's research on the 40 developmental assets or the developmental relationships that they provide. Um, I think it could be just really helpful. Um, and I think for parents to be able to look at that and see the things that benefited them when they were young people, um, or that they can see benefit their own children. Yes, you, you've used the concept of asset a few times in there. And I think that's a, that's a digestible starting point. And it's it's the concept of positivity, right? And so it, young people their stories aren't just shaped by the the challenging things that have happened to them. Yes, it's a piece of it, but is more, you know, as we can build in the other positive supports that are around them, that bolsters it and that buffers for those negative experiences that could potentially be to come. So I, I really, truly believe an easy way for mentors to start is just help them have a mind shift to see the positive first. When I'm working with a young person, I really do start with saying, tell me what you love. What lights up your eyes? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? When I'm talking to the parent, I'm saying, what, what do you see the vision for your young person? What's the promise? And then you can go from there. Once you identify what that motivator is in the young person, that's what you set goals around. That's what you help them strive for because it's intrinsic and they feel good about it and it builds self-confidence. And so it's in those moments that we can, it, it feels like that was an easy crack of the code, right? But it, it's got to start from the place of good to help move them forward. And I imagine, especially as we're we're talking about young people. It takes some patience mm -hmm. and it takes some persistence. Sure. I just know conversations I have with my own children on the way to school. And the first thing, one thing I ask every day is, what are you looking forward to today? Mm -hmm. What are you looking forward to? My son will always give me something. My daughter, who's 15, I, I don't know, mom. 
Yeah. You know, but I'm going to ask it every day. And I told yes. her, I just want you to have something to look forward to today. Right. You know, Question. but it's it's not it's, important. It, it, it's that you, it's the repetitiveness. It's mm-hmm. the consistency of it. It's you have to be a little bit patient. You absolutely do. And and if you ask a close ended question, you're going to get a close ended answer. So the way you poised it to your daughter was was I'm going to be persistent here for right or for wrong. I'm going to keep showing up in your life. And that takes time, but it builds trust. The one other thing that you both ended up saying is they have to participate in the conversation. We can't just force anyone into this is is as we want change, we have to bring others along and we have to encourage them to participate. And and your question and, and even your your what what do you enjoy? What's what do you see as as good and meaningful? I think these are really important things and and Young people in particular need to be part of the conversation. It's not just teaching at. And I think our world tends to, right now, be a lot of don't-dos. And I think it's helpful if we had more of the things you did do and were good to do as being presented. And and, and that could inspire all of us. And. Uh, I, I would love to see more of that, particularly from the media, if we had a way of yes. encouraging it. But I don't know how to get that done. <laughs> well, it's very well said, though. It's, a, it's an excellent point. As far as community organizations working together, how well do we do that with this regard? Or, or what should we be doing in this regard? Are organizations teaming together to help in those situations? I don't think as, as well as they could by any stretch. I think there are people with that desire um, I think there are a lot of people in our community, I would suggest, that have that desire um, and even passion, but I'm not sure they know what to do with that. Um, and so I think when, when a hospital association or, or some government association uses whatever they have to be able to encourage that, um, but even in the relational communities, um, one of the things they do is they said, here's this, how can you build this in your community? So, so I think to offer the inspiration or even the setting for that to happen would be helpful, but that is the challenge. I think we need to realize that building effective partnerships take time. And it's the quality of the connection that we can make side by side that's going to benefit those in our community. Um, I say that because there are barriers to access. And we have to realize, you know, folks are facing a lot of challenges that might prevent them from coming to us. So we have to overcome them as we're handing off or giving a a warm referral is what we call them in, in kind of our world. And I might say, hey, I think you could really benefit from Sid's program. And I know Sid and I trust Sid. Mm -hmm. So I would really uh, let me help you get connected. And we have to do those extra miles right now, especially because you mentioned earlier, social skills are down. Our connectivity has been dormant for 18 months. So so we we need to do it on our bit side by side to really fold in those around us so that they do follow through. There's barriers to access and systemic barriers everywhere. We just have to keep working together to bring that down so the playing field can be open. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This has been, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Camille Brew and Sid McNeely, and thank you so much for all you're doing for our communities as well. Thank you for the thank time. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests for being part of today's discussion. And thank you for being part of our journey as we all become better listeners. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please rate and review the podcast. We love hearing from you. 
I'm Chris Kirshner, and this has been Tell Us Where It Hurts. Until next time.